church. And your gift to us to be able to acknowledge you today and how much we need you on every minute, every day. Lord, we need you. We need you to pump the air in our lungs. God, we thank you today. And we ask that your spirit, that he would fill this place, anoint this place, Lord, with his presence. Spirit, come. You are wanted and welcome here in this place. Lord, I pray that we would be so honored and privileged to hear your voice, to see you move in a mighty, miraculous way today. I thank you, Lord. We need you, God. We need you, Lord. And we pray that you would be in this place this morning, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus that we come singing, boldly proclaiming all of these truths. And the church says... Amen, amen. Have a seat. And at this time, the kids can be dismissed to Sunday school. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's return to Genesis 16. Genesis 16. Verse 1 and 2, we've been looking at the highlights and turning points of Genesis, and chapter 16 certainly seems to meet the criteria. We, we have seen how Abraham, this is in chapter 12, verse 4, was uh, already 75 years old when he came into the land of Canaan. And Sarah had borne no children. His wife had borne no children. And remember, in chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, we had a message on uh, God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to look at the stars of the sky. That's how many of your descendants are going to be. Well, now, in chapter 16, he's 85 years old. Ten years have gone by, and they still have no children. So Sarah has a plan. Look at chapter 16, verse 3. So after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, her handmaid, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. Oh, two wives. What could go wrong there? Um, chapter 16 verse 4 and he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw she, that Hagar had conceived she looked with contempt on her mistress Sarah she had contempt for her the Hebrew word kalal is usually translated curse like Genesis 12 3 those who curse you I will curse it means demeaning speech. It means to write someone off. 
the, the, my feeling is when Hagar had a baby and Sarah couldn't, that Hagar then started looking at Sarah as someone to get rid of. Competition, now got to go, I've got his baby, and so Sarah needs to go. Uh, just a bit of a side note. Notice that it says, and this is in uh, chapter 16, verse 2, um, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so go into my servant, Sarah said to Abraham. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Uh, where did a, another instance come when a man listened to the voice of his wife? I don't mean to be offensive here. I'm just asking. In Genesis 2, Adam listened to the voice of Eve. Sometimes you can't do it in spiritual things. Sometimes you better do it. But also notice in chapter 16, verse 3, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, and gave her to Abraham. Now, where have you heard, seen and read the wife took and gave to her husband? Again, with Adam and Eve. This is all the exact same vocabulary. You get the exact same result, and that is a fall. This is Abraham and Sarah's fall. And of course, they had, he had Ishmael through Hagar, and Ishmael ultimately produced the Arabs. And history shows us that the Arabs and the descendants of Isaac, the Jews, they don't exactly get along. So now look at verse 5. And Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. When she saw she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. Now she's mad. There's a blame game. And by the way, in verse 5, Sarah said to Abram, Abraham, May the wrong done. The word wrong there is Hamas. Do you know the word Hamas? Over in Palestine today, or in the Gaza Strip, is a terrorist group named Hamas. Because Hamas means violence. Um, it's actually translated as violence in Genesis 12, uh, 6, where it says the earth was filled with Hamas, violence. This is what Sarah uses, the term, Abraham, you are Hamas. You, the, this is a wrong. This is a Hamas done to me. This is violence. This is terrorism. Maybe a little exaggeration, but that's what you get. 
blame, drama, exaggeration, strife. Now, what you also get is somebody leaves. And so Hagar, verse 6, Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do with her as you will. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled. Verse 7, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness on the way to Shur. Shur is near Egypt, so I'm guessing since she's Egyptian, she was headed back to Egypt. In the wilderness. Here's a young woman. And she's alone. She has no husband, no father, or mother. And verse 11 says she's pregnant. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and will bear a son. And, of course, there's not a lot of jobs in the desert, so she's jobless. She has no means of support. Now, this is a very vulnerable condition for this young woman. And I want to say two things here to, to young mothers. Um, maybe you've been abandoned or maybe... you're pregnant out of wedlock, I want to say a couple things to you. First, notice the angel of the Lord found her, verse 7. He was looking for her. Who's this angel of the Lord? It does not say an angel of the Lord found her. The angel, and the word Hebrew word for angel is melech, which means, also means messenger. The messenger of the Lord found her. And look at down in verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You're a God who sees me. She said, Truly here I've seen him who looks after me. Every young mother needs that verse. Because this angel of the Lord is none other, this messenger of the Lord is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, a messenger who is also God. He's called God in verse 13 and a messenger in verse 10. So the first thing you need to know is the Lord is looking for you. Everybody may have given up on you, but the Lord did not. Single mothers, God wants you. Here's the other thing I wanted to say to you. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. If you're in a distressed situation, the Lord who helped this young woman He'll help you. And there's a lot of distress under the surface with people that we never see. Psalm 34, 6. The poor man, this poor man cried to the Lord and he heard him and delivered him from all his troubles. 
cry out to the Lord. So let's look at three things this morning, the basis of our message. The first thing you see here is God's goodness. God is good to Abraham. Abraham is in a fog, and he, but God didn't cancel the promise. In fact, in chapter 17, verse 1, Abraham is 99, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty, and gave him a, renewed the promise to him. He didn't cancel his promise. He's good to Sarah, even though Sarah is the one who instigated this. Genesis 17, 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you will not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and give you a son by her. That was Isaac. And I will bless her. She will become nations. Kings will come from her. Well, that's a pretty good prediction for a woman who just instigated polygamy. Here is God's goodness on display. He's good to Abraham, good to Sarah, he's good to Hagar, even Ishmael, the baby that was born to Hagar. In verse chapter 17, verse 20. As for Ishmael, behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him, and he will father twelve princes, and I'll make him into a great nation. And what great nation was that? Saudi Arabia. It's a great nation. Not even to say a rich one. So here is God's goodness on display. The people come off as weak and fickle and sinful, but God remains good and faithful and gracious. The second thing, here is the Bible's honesty. Here's the Bible's honesty. Abraham is a father of our faith and a hero to Islam and Christianity and Judaism. But boy, it, the Bible does not hedge when it comes to describing his fall and failures. The Bible describes Noah in his drunken stupor, David in his adultery and murder, Solomon picking up 700 concubines and 300 wives. Peter's threefold denial of Jesus. Paul's argument with Barnabas in the book of Acts where they couldn't even minister together. In the Bible, you don't have perfect people. So when you come to Christ... You're coming because you need Him. These are people just like us. Their lives are messed up. They're sinners in need of a Savior. No other book or religion reveals and uncovers its heroes like the Bible does. The Koran actually forbids any critical statement of Muhammad. Muhammad's so-called marriage to a little girl 
cruelty to prisoners and the ownership of slaves. And to bring these things up, many branches of Islam uh, would say this, this is punishable by death. What I just said to you could not be said in uh, Iran or Iraq or Saudi Arabia, any of the Islamic nations. Punishable by death. Boy, not in the Bible. What if God came to you and said, uh, let's take me for example, get the heat off of you. Let's say, God says, Larry, I want to put your story in the Bible. We're going to tell everything. And billions of people are going to read it for thousands of years. I'd be like, as much as I'd like to be in the Bible, I think I'm going to pass on that. Would you want your whole life laid out like that? This authenticates the reliability and the divinity of the scripture because it doesn't mince words with its heroes. So we have the goodness of God, we have the honesty of the Bible, but there's one other thing that is here and that I referred to a little earlier in Galatians, that this story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar is an allegory that Paul says in the New Testament, Galatians 4.21, has a meaning beyond the history. In Galatians, people are uh, following Paul around. There's some Jewish people um, who are very Judaistic, and they're insisting on circumcision. Yes, you can be a Christian, but you also have to be circumcised you have to keep the Sabbath days. You have to, not just Sabbath days, but this, there are more than one Sabbath. You have to keep the Sabbath months. There's a Sabbath year where you take the whole year off. There are festivals and rituals and ceremonies. And yes, you can come to Jesus through Judaism. Paul says, no. He said, have you ever heard of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar? Those were two covenants. And look what they produced. Abraham and Hagar produced Ishmael. He's simply a product. He's a little Jewish baby. His DNA traces to Abraham. He said, that's the way Jewish people are who have not been born again. But Isaac, the ultimate son of Sarah was produced by the power of God. God waited until they were both, uh, her and Sarah, her and Abraham both, were unable to have a child. God gave, him, gave them one anyway. Their children are produced, born again, born by the power of God, but through Hagar, that covenant, they, they're born by the flesh, the natural process of And then Paul says this. When Ishmael grows up, and this is in Genesis 21, and Isaac, his younger brother, is weaned, 
reaches adolescence, then Ishmael begins to mock and ridicule and persecute Isaac. Paul says that's the way it is today. Those who are born of the flesh from Abraham, they're persecuting those who are born of the Spirit. So Paul says, what does the Scripture say? This is Genesis 21, 8 through 12. He says, brothers like Isaac were children of promise. And just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him born according to the Spirit, so it is now. Galatians 4.30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for they will not be heir with the son of the free woman. Ishmael's grown up now. She's doing fine. Now they're excluded from the household. What does this say about the old covenant? What is Paul saying about Judaism and the Jews? Cast out the bondwoman. This is an allegory, he says. So here's the question. How does the New Testament Christian view the Old Testament and the Jewish people? Not Those who are not born by the Holy Spirit, born again. Here's another question. Deuteronomy 14.8, you are not to eat anything with pig. Did anybody have bacon this week? It's a no-no. What about this verse, Leviticus 19.19, you are to not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Huh, I saw my little wife out on the deck last, this past week. She, was, she had uh, cucumber seeds, she had peppers, she had tomatoes, and I rushed out. Honey, you're violating the holy law. Did I do that? No, why wouldn't I do that? It's in the Bible. It's in the Old Covenant. How do we handle the Old Covenant? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. They're not part of the true line of Abraham, even though they can be traced through the bloodline of Abraham. We're going to look at this next week. What about Sabbath laws? This story in Genesis 16 is symbolic of the Christian's relationship to the law. How do we look at it? The law of Moses or the grace of God in Christ Jesus? So we're going to take a little extra and look at law and grace next Sunday morning from Paul's allegory in Galatians 4. Let's bow together for prayer. And ushers, if you'll come, let's worship with tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are able to clarify things for us and give us wisdom and interpretation. We pray you would do it. We pray that we would handle your word with great reverence but that we would come to a full knowledge of the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.